Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith America Podcast, Volume 25. Amazing show today. I recruited my buddy, Jake Peavy, former unanimous Cy Young Award winner back in 2007, two-time World Series champion. He won with the Red Sox in 2013. He won with the San Francisco Giants in 2014. And if ever there has been a unique Major League Baseball life, Jake has lived it. He is one of the best teammates any of those guys with whom he played ever had. Trust me, if you ask them, they'll tell you I have asked many of them. He's just a guy's guy. He's a dude that you go hunting and fishing and drinking beers with. Good old Alabama boy. And had a wonderful major league career. And he's been a great friend of mine for many years now. I can't wait for you guys to hear him detail his amazing life. And uh, in recent years, it's been a bit difficult. Uh, he was flat stolen from. His former financial advisor stole $20 million. And I look forward to you guys hearing what Jake has to say about the aftermath of that terrible situation. So an amazing conversation about ball and life with one of my best buddies. Y'all are going to love it, trust me. Travis sat there captivated. It was awesome. But before we get to Jake, and this is fitting because Jake's a good old boy. He likes bacon. Travis, I mean, you like bacon, right? Who doesn't? Yeah, it's bacon. I mean, it's it's like the most American thing there is. I mean, God bless bacon. Well, guess what, bacon lovers? Now, with every pack of Smithfield bacon you purchase, you can enter for a chance to win bacon for life. Yeah, you heard me right. Bacon for life. All the slow-smoked, crispy happiness you can handle. You wake up, boom, there's a bacon-filled breakfast. You need lunch during the big game? Bacon. And for dinner, bedtime snack, or any other time of the day, I know I don't even need to say it, but I will anyway. Bacon! You can baconify anything you like. Bacon on s'mores, bacon on pancakes, even a regular old BLT, but made with a mountain of bacon. There's no gimmicks, no tricks, just a whole lot of Smithfield bacon. For life. That's right, for life. And for the win. And the chance to win it is yours now. Look for specifically marked packages of Smithfield bacon in stores or visit smithfield.com forward slash bacon for life for details. Flavor hails from Smithfield. No purchase necessary. Ends 12-31-18. Go to smithfield.com forward slash bacon for life to enter and for free entry instructions. Now it's time for my interview with my buddy Jake Peavy. It's a good one, y'all. I can't tell y'all how much it means to me to have one of the kindest most generous human beings I've ever known he is my brother whom I adore he's given of himself to his friends including me unlike many are willing or even able and above everything else you learn about Jake Peavy today during this conversation I want you guys to know that you'll never hear tell of a better friend than him we've walked through some together and I just want to open by saying that, brother. I love you. I appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging. And look, Marty, those words are too kind, buddy. But uh, look, they're uh, they're ever so true, directed right back at you, buddy. And uh, look, man, it's an honor to sit here and be on this thing with you and and talk life, man. I, I want to pick your brain on this thing, man. Well, good. We can do it. It's been. Uh, <laughs> let's just get started on on kind of where you're sitting right now. It's been a hell of a, a tough couple years for you. You actually stated, uh, I saw that you feel like you need a miracle every day. And I will say that seeing that sentence 
it 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 made me feel like I wasn't as engaged as I should be, like I should have known these kinds of things. But let's start right there. How would you describe your life after baseball these past couple of years? Well, it's been a beautiful mess, I guess, is the, is the best way to describe it. Marty, I, I've had some of the worst things, I guess, that uh, that you could imagine, really, uh, short of, of losing loved ones and, and people close to you, just about, you know, uh, as close people like my loved ones, you know, when you, you get done wrong and you you have a ton of questions why, you're, you're in a, a bad place. But, you know, that being said, in those last few years of even the darkest times, I've had some of the best times of my life, too, being off the road, not being Jake Peavy, the professional baseball player, just being Jake Peavy and, and being a daddy, being a, a friend, and just being around. So, you know, it, the, the last two years have certainly been different than anything I've ever known as an adult. They have, uh, there's been you know, so much work in my life that, that I had never known that, that I, I now have, have somewhat of a grasp on. Um, that being said, I'm enjoying the journey as much as ever. I'm as blessed as ever. When I uh, go back and speak on, when I did say that, our, our uh, good buddy that I got a chance to, to uh, spend some time with, and if, if anybody listening don't know who John Perry Barlow is, go, go look at, uh, just Google John Perry Barlow and look at this man's life and just a man who just constantly lived on the frontier. Uh, you're going to Google him and find out he's a lyricist and essayist, which, you know, at the end of the day, the man's been paid for his words his entire life. Uh, Pretty good living. That's enough about him. Uh, right. But anyway, he was going through a tough time, has since passed on, but uh, he, he wrote a song with Bob Weir that uh, that says, there's just one more thing I, I got to say. I need a miracle every day. And in, in those dark times, when we go visit kids through the foundation, there's kids in there right now, right down the street from where you're at, where I'm at, needing miracles every day. There's people in distress all over. And, I, you know, I certainly felt some of that. Um, my foundation, my loved ones, people um, all around me, like yourself, um, knowing that you're loved is the only way to get through stuff like that. Um, and, and that's just how, how we've done it. Just so people know. Those of you guys listening who don't know Jake's story these past couple of years, to be frank, he was stolen from. $20 million stolen from. His former financial advisor made some really bad decisions. And I wonder, now that you're sort of making your way through the backside of it, and I feel like probably the acute shock of it has waned a bit, what did you learn from all of that, and how did you learn that he had done this to you. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really crazy process of how we all think we have a grasp on our life and the direction life is headed. Um, and you just never know, uh, truly. And, and we all know this to be true or cliche. And all of this is, uh, has happened. It's happened in my life where I lost dear loved ones, you know, at 19, 20 years old, kids that were destined to play in the major leagues. And you see life just drastically change. In 2016, I was getting ready to play my 15th year in the major league level, and we all know that that sports is a wonderful thing, but it is a ticking time bomb, and Father Time is just going to catch you in your shelf life. No matter what sport you're playing, is going to come to an end. And it gets to the point where you're fighting that the older you get in your career. I certainly was, and and can talk about some of the injury stuff that, that you're very familiar with and how incredibly blessed I was on the back end of my career. I had felt like it was just time. My oldest son was getting ready to start his high school journey at at, um, at a sophomore level. 
you know, and I hadn't spent a whole lot of daddy time, and I didn't want him to get out of the house. And, and I told my family in January of 2016, look, this is going to be it. If you've got any wishes, wants, stuff you want to see, do, you better come on. And uh, we kind of planned for, for life to, to be that. Now I go to spring training in 2016. You know, head already not in probably the best place because you're thinking it's your farewell ride. You're going to not have this announcement, but just tell your people around you and let all the people know along the, the ride, hey, man, I'm not going to see you for a while. Clubhouse people, people that you know I have incredible relationships with. Mm-hmm. Yes, all Buster Posey and Brandon Crawford and Dustin Pedroia and Chris Sale, but I also have great relationships with Tom McLaughlin and, uh, you know, just people way behind the scenes who make the world go round as you do and, and as we all do in work. So that was where my head was at as I entered spring training. Three days in the spring training, I'll never forget it. I was sitting getting work done by a guy named Tony Reale, who's a physical therapist, great physical therapist for the San Francisco Giants. And he has some kind of access to a website that's, you know, um, you know, hip to the game with, with all the – the insider trading stuff and just uh, the financial world. And he was talking about some, some people getting ready to understand that they're involved in, in, in these Ponzi schemes and money's not where it was. And at this point in time, I had gotten a call from Roy Oswald asking me if I could get a hold of our financial advisor, and uh, I couldn't. And we both were trying for m- multiple days now. And at that point in time, I had just a sick, sick feeling that I was somehow, this was going to be reality. And, Sure enough, it was, and, and um, you know, just to give you a background of from that day on, now you go to spring training, and, and baseball was a savior because it did, unlike Roy Oswalt and some other guys who, who were athletes who had to walk through this, it was a release. It was an escape. Now, did I do my teammates any any uh, favors by showing up and, and doing what I did and, and trying to be there? Absolutely not. I Quick side note, I'm, I'm going back out to San Francisco here in the next little bit, and it'll be the first time I've seen all my teammates, people I love, people I am dearly tied to, um, and I can't wait to go back. I was thinking about the 2016 season, and I can't even hardly remember it. I can't even go get a game in that season that I didn't participate in. And half of the ones I did, I can't quite go get. You know, I was physically present, but from that day on, when you find out stuff's not been what you've thought for 10 years and you got people in your life you trusted you've been on mission trips with you've uh the last email exchange you have with somebody is um about speaking at a fellowship of christian athletes engagement you know i trusted this man with all my heart as did a lot of people this isn't um the first time anything like this has happened but at the end of the day from from going in january telling your family you're about to retire and you kind of you're sitting up on this. Thank God we were diverse enough and I was still playing. And, and there was a lot of other ways to to, to recoup and, and make some money to get back on your feet. But uh, long story short, that started in 2016. I kind of flew all over. Thank God I was with Bruce Bochy and the San Francisco Giants who loved me. They let me fly all over to Dallas to a courtroom to miss work and, and uh, to try to be in the middle of getting this money back, and then at the end of the day, um, I get home, we get put out by the Cubs that uh, that season, and that, that ended up being the last year I played because went through some uh, some personal change. Me and my wife uh, split up there at the end of 2016, and um, from that day on, when your children are experiencing change, um, their well-being and, and comfort is of utmost importance. And, and, look, I've been here in Mobile, Alabama, 
since that day for the most part. And um, as tough a times as we just talked about, some of the best days of my life are wrapped up in those two years I'll tell you about. So long story short, here I am, and I uh, it's about the uh, long, short version. It's just, I mean, it's it's a bad lifetime movie, Jake. It's <laughs> it's it's so it doesn't it just doesn't happen to you, and then it did. And you know, you had said something a moment ago that you've learned things over these past couple of years that you had no way of knowing before. Expound upon that. What are those things? Just getting to be a dad in a whole nother whole nother light. You know, my children. You know, I never forget when I had to sit down and, and your children are all at different ages and they're processing things at, at different ages. I have right now as we as we speak, I have a seventeen, fourteen, nine, four year old. Really one in just about every stage of life of thinking he's a man, one puberty, eighth grade, just trying to find his way himself. Judson's still sleeping with me half the time and, and believing in Santa Claus and then Waylon, you know, we're full on just started school and you know walking through uh and being a part of their life as a baseball player when so much attention every bit of the attention for the most part is on you uh, your schedule with them your uh, activities that you can do with them is wrapped around your life um and albeit a wonderful life and getting to have experiences that children only dream of and, and we certainly recognize that but missing games getting a coach getting to lay in bed and, and listen, um, you know, to them and, and uh, just uh, getting to cook, getting to take them to school. The, the small things that I think we all take for granted and we all get ag- aggravated with, and I certainly have at times, getting to plug into what my, is important to my children over the past two years and, and having a relationship with them to where they truly understand that daddy was a baseball player and, and, and did do a lot of this stuff and, uh, they think that's cool, and, and look, they want to go do it again. Um, but they also know me as as, as a different daddy now, um, and, and that I will be here, take care of them, and and um, walk them through some tough times, and, and be with them in good times. What's the attention due to you that you can't really grasp until it's not there every day anymore? Well, you know, I think it feeds this this animal, you know, inside us all that that loves attention. You know, we all want to be, you know, wanted you shoot my favorite country songs. are talking about sad to be alone. You know, it's a, and, and we all want that feeling of, of sharing something with somebody. And then, you know, from the time I've been 20 years old, I've, I've been in the major league environment and settings nine months out of the year. And, and, and it's a wonderful life. Um, but if you're not careful, you can certainly think that the world, uh, you know, sun and moon revolve around you and your life and the Boston Red Sox game that day. And, and um, there were years of my life to where I was so wrapped up in your job and, and, and what you're doing. Um, and you truly think it's, it's the most important thing that that's ever happened on planet earth. And, and you know, that takes that to succeed at, at the highest of, of levels, but at the same time, your quality of life and, and your perspective, maybe on, on um, you know, your bird's eye view might not be completely correct. And um, I wouldn't trade anything for the years I had um, in in the game and in all the cities I played in, the relationships, none of that would I ever change. That being said, I wish I, I did it um, with a little bit better perspective um, with the overall picture of your family life and, and, and uh, 
you know, just uh, of the, the foundation, the, the platform that you truly have and, and not ever letting that slip away and, um, in any shape, you know, or form. So, um, you know, those, those are the small things you look back on. And, and uh, you know, I don't think I'm done either, Marty. I'm, I'm still – I just left the gym to come get on the phone with you guys and um, just played up in Louisville on this Louisville Stars team, which was an absolute blast and getting a – to get back out there. But at the end of the day, it kind of shows you where you're at and, and, and where you need to go. It kind of lit a fire under my rear end as far as you think you're a certain uh, level until you really try to crank it up until a college kid gets in there. You don't want to get embarrassed in front of a few thousand people. <laughs> so, uh, so where are you? How close are you? What's the goal um, here? Do you, you want know, to mount, come there, back to the big? You know, I was throwing the ball. You know, I, I was throwing the – at the end of the day, I, I don't know um, what will become of it. At the end of the day, I'm on – uh, do all I can do, and I'm going to show up in spring training with somebody uh, where there's opportunity. I think the game, at the end of the day, is trending in a way that that plays to my advantage of of exhausting what you have for 30 pitches, for 60 pitches. It's not like that. Um, the days when I played and, and thought if you didn't throw seven innings in the, my entire career, uh, if seven innings that wasn't achieved in a start. It didn't matter what the rest of the line looked like. You didn't do your job. Seven innings today is, you know, cool to a complete game, you know, back in the day. So I think back, I think, you know, that, that uh, being older, not the sustainability with maybe some of the injuries um, may be an issue, but uh, guys aren't allowed to even be stretched out anymore. They come in, they give it everything you got. You, you throw breaking ball, win in doubt, just execute, compete. But <laughs> all I know about it, I, I think I um, – I think I can do it, and, and I, as a matter of fact, I know I can do it. Um, you know, I watch guys like, and that's not in any kind of cocky or arrogant way. It's just watching guys that you know up there in Louisville. I'm semi-prepared to go up there, but what's the 87 to 89? I know I can prepare and get a few more miles an hour to, uh, to that and go execute, as does a Kyle Hendricks and, and um, people who are all across the league pitching and, and, and getting out at that uh, velocity. So I'll, uh, I'll go to spring training, compete have some kind of closure for my children of, of the baseball side of things at, at some point in time um, next year, the year after, who knows what that may, may be, uh, might be go to spring training and it might happen there. Um, but my kids deserve closure um, of some sort and not just, Hey, you know, dad's not going to go back. And then them having to hear me get offers throughout the last few years and, and have a chance to go play and, and often not to. How many offers have you gotten that you didn't take? Just a handful. I, honestly, uh, I'd say three offers over the last couple of years. And, and, and uh, you know, as far as now, it's not interest or calling, you know, and there ever there never was a time where I ever pushed any other phone call other than, look, if, if this is serious, I, I'm, I'm thinking about getting here. But, you know, when things are unknown at the end of the day, you know, I'm not blaming anything on, on you know, life situations when you're up in the air on so many things and, and you need to be certain places, you can't make other decisions. And that's just how baseball's been for me. And, um, you know, last midsummer, I had, a, I had an opportunity to, to go and then I've had an opportunity this year, but it's just been, you know, the right people of, you know, who knew me relationship wise and says, Hey, what do you got? And it's a, be a relationship where they can trust me. And at the end of the day, I, I would never want anything guaranteed or, or anything like that. I would want to go pitch, go, if I ever was to sign during the season, you go pitching AAA, pitching AA, and, until you uh, either figure out you can go do it or, or you can't do it and call it what it is at that point in time. 
we'll discuss the injuries in a minute because people need to understand what you came back from. But let's talk 2007 first. Y'all, in 2007, Jake Peavy won the pitching triple crown. All right, he led the National League with 19 wins, 240 strikeouts, 2.54 ERA, utter dominance. It's only happened eight times since divisional play began in 1969. Then you're named the unanimous NL Cy Young Award winner, just the 10th NL player in history to win the Cy Young unanimously. Son, when you Funny reflect, story I love that, to hear the laugh. Know. I love I love to hear the laugh. You know, people need to understand how dominant you were. When you reflect on that year, what do you think about? Well, look, Marty, it is, I, I do laugh, and I laugh for a couple of reasons. A, because it, it is when you do look back on a, on something that's now happened 10 years ago, and, and you go, golly, that was, you know, that was fun. You, 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 you maybe have that perspective of why it happened uh, and can put the pieces together a little bit better. And I do laugh because – you know, I think an interview with Jake Peavy at that point in time, I probably would have given you, uh, you know, a humble answer. But I don't know if necessarily I would have meant it um, because I thought I had it together. And 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 what was happening, and and we certainly did with what was the numbers. Uh, but but I, I'll tell you how that whole thing happened. Kevin Towers, once again, who we just lost, another great baseball man and one who I owe so much to, and. Um, and who drafted me out of St. Paul's, who gave me a chance, who sat with me in the in the um, stands throughout the minor leagues, and at the end of the day called me up to pitch against the New York Yankees and, and uh, told me he believed in me. Just as my grandpa and as my dad, the biggest gift I think they ever gave me is they told me I could do it. And, they, and I knew when they were there, they looked at me and said, come on, we got this. Kevin Towers, from the time I was in the Padres organization, gave me that. I believe in you, dude. And, uh, you know, so – didn't mean to get off on that tangent, but we just lost. No, them. it's beautiful. They're, they're it's not beautifully making said. any more baseball it. men like that anymore who have a gut feeling and who really are allowed to use it. Kevin Towers was was, was a great one. He gave me an opportunity to, uh, to to play, and really it had his hand upon my career as I progressed. 2004 and five, I had good years, and I won an ERA title, and I won the strikeout title there in 2005 and really thought I was making my way into this number one guy that I wanted to be. And uh, 2006, I played in Team USA, and it was an amazing experience to get to play with Derek Jeter, to play with Chipper Jones and Roger Clemens, guys who I idolized, grew up. I played in this World Baseball Classic for the first time ever. They put this together. I played in it. Maybe not my best move because I, I – Competitive too early, and I struggled in the first half with injury and shoulder injury. Got better the second half of 2006. We went lost to the, the Cardinals' eventual world champions in the postseason. Now it's the off season of 2007. I'm getting ready to start trying to make some or, or making some money and getting paid for for doing well. Um, and Kevin Towers now calls and tells me he's going to give Greg Maddox in his 19th year 10 million dollars to play you know, throwing 86 miles an hour. And, you know, there were part of me that was so excited as I end up being, but part of me going, look, I'm going to do twice. I'm going to throw twice the innings he's going to throw, you know. Like, how are you giving him this much money? You know, it's just crazy. And and at at the end of the day, he not only stripped me of every bit of the ego and the pride that I had left and thought that I, I had going for me and said, look, I don't care what you say. You're not the number one of this staff. You're not leading this staff. You're going to learn from a number one who's maybe the best of all times. 
And, Marty, when I go back and look at 2007, I truly can't take credit for it because I just was able to sit with a master uh, every day at work and get ready for our fifth day. You know, one of the first questions I would ask you, I go, how are you going to get Marty Smith out, Greg? You go, how am I going to get him out or how are you going to get him out? <laughs> you know, and it, it, I mean, everything was mm-hmm. such tailored made and you realize when you get around people like that when you get around pedro martinez and you think of this language barrier and maybe how he speaks you don't necessarily take him for the smartest when you get around tony Gwynn, trevor hoffman's you realize quickly that they're great and they're set apart for a reason they do things on the on the next level they prepare and do the things that you can control the absolute best and and greg maddox showed me how to do that showed me how to prepare I went out there inning by inning and, and truly won a, a Cy Young with him winning his fifth right through me. Uh, honestly, that's how 2007 happened. I did try to kick it in gear because Rick Sutcliffe is in, is maybe my best friend within the game. First pitching coach, the Padres had him around. He's another kid, uh, guy when I was young gravitated. He was kind of this roving special instructor. He got traded. Think about this. He got traded in 84 to the Cubs midseason and now goes undefeated and wins the unanimous Cy Young in 84. Well, Rick Sutcliffe starts getting in my ear about halfway, and I tell him, I said, I'm coming after you, pal. I'm winning the Cy Young thing, man, you know, and and this is going to be fun. And he would just tell me just between me and him, and I really hadn't told, honestly, too many people this, if anybody. He'd say, it don't mean a thing if it's not unanimous, pal. Uh, and so there was a when I laugh and I think about you talking about that because not many people ever mention that, but uh, that was certainly a, a side note that uh, and a, just a deeper connection for me and such uh, truly taught me um, who taught Greg Maddox, who ended up winning it through me. So there was a deep, deep connection uh, there. And I love it. Special year. It's just so Jake Peavy because you have such great reverence, and we'll get into music in a little while, but. You just have such great reverence for what came before you. You always have. And that's one thing that you and I have connected so deeply about is you're willing to take that ego and that pride and stifle it because you were taught you listen to what somebody that came before you knows because they know more than you do, damn it. Shut up. Open your ears. And when you think about the most dominant season – you ever had and one of the most dominant pitching seasons the game's ever seen you go straight to greg maddox and rick sutcliffe and i that's that's just you it's just you so let's get into the injuries um, real quick i know i know that you don't have a ton of time so i want to try to run through some of this no no you you, you know what i actually i actually have as much time as you would ever need but let me let me I, can I say something on that? And this is the only thing. I And I, first off, will say this. I love the game of baseball. I will never, ever, you will never hear me as one of those guys talking bad about the game of baseball or, A, what's going on in the game of baseball. I do think when I think about losing Kevin Towers, and, and I just don't want to lose this, this train of thought before uh, moving on to injury, is that experience thing you're talking about and what it did for me in my career. And then when I think about winning a World Series and what happened and the experience that it took to get that done, I think the, the one place in baseball, if you look, um, that I, I, I just wish the game would kind of get back to a little bit is taking somehow and putting a value 
as as there is on everything. You know, everything is some calculated number now. And and to that, I have no problems if, if that's the way people want to calculate the game. But we got to recognize and understand the fact that experience is a huge component of what makes teams successful and individuals successful. No question. And, and I just don't think that's valued and looked at uh, in a way that I can show you that it's been ever present in any great season that any individual had and certainly – any of these World Series is if you want to start from last year's World Series and look at and go, oh, this great group of young players, incredibly talented. I hadn't seen a group of young players as talented as that grounds in Houston. But who's on the bench and how did they win these World Series games? By knowing Hugh Darvish's pitches. Who's the best pitch stealer in the league and has been for 20 years? Sitting on their bench, Carlos Beltran. Who's catching all those pitches and getting those pitchers through that? None other than Brian McCann. You know what I mean? The Cubs the year before trying to get it done needed David Ross, John David Lester, Ross. John Lackey to walk at that experience. You know, so I just wish that, that there was somehow that that was recognized of, look, I understand the young talent and the numbers you can put on it, but when you pair some experience uh, within your team makeup, it truly elevates you, and, and, and uh, that experience can help you work as a team and a unit and and really help you stand tall when it gets thick. Uh, you, and you and I both know it, it's going to come that time you're going to quit. Um, well, so, I think about I, you know, I think about I 2013. That, but that experience no, is that's where I was. It's, dude, it's it's fantastic. You get traded to the Red Sox midway through 2013. I can remember having a lot of conversations with you during that time about where you might go, who wanted you, what your thought process was, etc. And you end up going to the Red Sox. And since that time, since you guys ultimately won the World Series, I've had the great opportunity through you to meet a lot of those guys that were on the team with you. And invariably, they seem to tell me that your impact on the camaraderie of that clubhouse was dramatic. What do you believe that impact to be? Um, you know, this is hard for me to, to really talk about because at the end of the day, there is no way that I could ever sit here and say I was responsible for anything or or or, or take credit for anything. Um, I, I just got traded over there. Ben Sherrington, who I have a lot of respect for, was the general manager. I didn't know anything about the Boston Red Sox really um, too terribly much, um, other than I, I knew most of the, the personnel there, and I knew that they were fighting with Tampa Bay. When I did get traded to Boston there in the end of July, Ben Sherrington – just mentioned to me about John Lester. Um, you know, John Lester had been this crazy number one throwing no hitters and then had this battle with cancer, um, you know, that obviously scary and scares everyone. The perspective thing comes back down, and now he's back pitching, still with the same stuff, but just not at this point in time. You know, I think he had about a four and a half or closer to a five ERA in, in, in that point in time in, in 2000. 13, you know, and, and he had just give, given me some, look, I'm going to put your locker next to John Lester. If there's any way you can encourage him, him and John Lackey are great friends. I was very excited about joining forces with John Lackey. I knew what he was about and been around him. Um, and I knew Ryan Dempsey, knew David Ross. I knew we had some Cowboys that at the end of the day were on board with, uh, with the ultimate goal and trying to win the, the prize, which we were all after. And so, uh, you know, when I got in the room, I'll never forget the first day I tried to get in the room before anybody. Because when you get traded over, you want to 
first impressions, everything. You want to beat everybody to the yard. I was here first, man. I'm ready to go. You're late. You're waiting on me. You know, and, and um, get there. Johnny Gomes is at the field. Jared Saltz-Lamarche is at the field. Dustin Pajori is at the field. We're talking 1230. And I just went, man, holy crap. Johnny Gomes ends up saying <laughs> to me, which I, I don't even know what he's speaking of at the time. And true story, I, you know, uh, we had the story. I just connected with Jason Worth over the last few months. And, of course, we hung out, me, him, Rick Angel, had the best time. And, you know, we're, we're the best of buds now. At, at no point in time over the last 15 years did I ever speak to Jason Worth or really look at him. And if I did look at him, it wasn't good. Or he looked at me, you know, Rick Ankiel. I've never been friends with <laughs> especially hitters and, and never just believed in it. I thought you lost your edge and you lose it. I, you know, I just wasn't looking to make friends with the opposition, you know, I, too terribly much. I just thought you lost your edge in sports and I didn't like that. Um, that was the same way with a lot of these Boston guys. I played with Dustin Pedroia and, and Kevin Euclid and some of these guys that, um, uh, Boston guy, so I knew, but Johnny Gomes was a guy I particularly didn't care for. I thought he just had aggression. It was about show. I just didn't understand him at this point. Well, he's the first guy I walk into. Hey, Johnny, how you doing? Good, man. I'm doing unbelievable. How you doing? I said, wonderful. He said, man, it's just another day closer to the parade, you know, just Diamondbacks in town, you know. And, uh, okay, well, I didn't have any idea. Well, it got, got on. I got over, put my clothes down. I, I spoke to, to Petey who I knew, and he was excited. I get over to Salty Lamakia, put my stuff down, and start talking to, to Salty and, and says, man, is there something I'm missing here in Boston at the end of July? Is there another day closer to the parade? I, I'm missing something here. And he goes, oh, man, he's talking about the World Series parade. And I said, oh, crap. And Salty looks at me and goes, <laughs> yeah, man, we win the World Series here. And at that point in time, it just was so real to me that, holy these people are, are on the exact same page uh, as I am. And when you want to talk about what changed, I was just one more guy who piled on incredible energy and believed. I believed in John Lester and just did everything I could do to tell him how amazing he was. At this point in time, he was struggling with Salty, who had a career year. David Ross is coming off concussions for a couple months you know, and trying to just get back with the team. By the time I got back with the team, guess who joined the team too? David Ross, who had been missing for two months. People talk about when I joined the team, David Ross rejoined the team as well. People were forgetting that, but he was just uh, a part of the team earlier, but had had to go home, honestly, because they thought his career might be over because of concussions. Well, hey, look, Salty's struggling, catching him and Lester about to fight out here. Both of them love each other, but they're about to fight. Why don't you just catch John Lester and, and, and just help him out? And, John, you're amazing, you know. Help. David Ross has got you. You know, you got a guy on your team. Let's fight together. Now they go on this incredible run that, that's, you know, uh, widely documented. And, and David Ross's life has completely changed, turned around. John Lester is the number one that Madison Mumgarter was in 2014. He just didn't get a chance to throw game seven because John Lackey's too much of a stud and closed out game six. So, um, you know, when people talk about what I changed, and I know that's a long answer to that, I just piled on top of guys and believed. And we had an incredible bunch. And I, I truly, uh, when that team broke up in 2014, I believe baseball changed forever with uh, – How? Uh, you know, I, I 
that team had a group of guys who had 10-plus years of service time who were all raised by a generation that was gone, um, really. And we all had ties to, I, I would, you know, I, I don't want to just pre, like the Balco days, the early 2000s or, or the late 90s, you know, um, you know, the game really took a, a huge change there in 2004 and all the drug testing and, you know, and, and it was it was a different era before then. And, and I really, when you look at guys who were raised in that other era, it was a different type of of of, of worker, a different type of animal. Um, um, and, and you know, I, I don't want to in any way uh, sound uh, like rebellious or, or that we were, but the prisoners were running the prison, so to speak. We had great leadership in John Farrell, Tory Lovello, and uh, Dana, Brian Butterfield, the best coaches in the league, truly, that were working outworking everybody. But but that was expected of them, and what was expected of us, but. Um, the the players were driving the train. The, the expectations, you know, it was press play. You, you know what I mean? This is happening. Don't care what has to happen. We are winning the World Series. A group of 15 or so guys who wanted something so bad um, and, and, and truly taught me a life lesson that I'll never forget what it takes if you want something um, so bad. you got to put your mind to it, the work ethic that it takes to accomplish it. Uh, until it was accomplished, I never – what I thought it took to win the World Series, it was three times that what I had in my mind it was going to take to actually do it. Without a group of people, then you have to bind the city's energy on top of it and just get that train rolling downhill, put that synergy together, make enough plays. It's a uh, a wonderful thing when it lines up. Though. You know, I think about that day, uh, I was blessed enough to – be there, you and uh, you know, I, I came with some yeah, of you were. our yes, dearest friends you were. <laughs> to uh, to be standing on that field after you guys won the world championship at Fenway Park. You know, it's uh, it's just hard to wrap your hands around it. I can remember standing in the clubhouse, and there's just champagne. You know, of course, just spraying everywhere, and it's it's this completely it's bedlam in there. And I can remember <laughs> standing over in the corner trying to be out of the way, and I felt like I shouldn't be there. And you're like, man, f- that. Get a damn in, 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 in that big old clubhouse at Fenway Park. Yeah, it's huge. We all had a lot of room. And uh, <laughs> I can remember John Farrell just, like, looking at me with this look on his face. Like, you know, he's, of course, uh, euphoric. He's just won the World Series. But it was kind of like a man, who the f*** are you and what the f*** are you doing here? <laughs> but – what an amazing, what an amazing just a, a day, and to see the joy within you that day was uh, it filled up all of our tanks to to be able to be well, there and celebrate that with you. I think you know you and and Taylor had such a a great perspective in those years of of the injury and 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 getting hurt, thinking your career is over coming back into the end of 2011 and, and, and thinking really being told by doctors, you'll never start again. So trying to wrap your head around 2012, kind of when my contract uh, ended, that that was going to be it uh, to go from thinking about that and going, gosh, uh, you know, I'm never going to be a part of winning, you know, the the ultimate, I'm going to be one of those who plays and never gets a chance to be a part of, of the ultimate prize and feel what that's like. People need to understand, Jake, how 
how bad this injury was. So you guys know, basically, I want you to detail it, but here's the basics. Jake's, Jake's latissimus dorsi, that huge muscle that runs down like your wing muscles in your back, it detached from his ribs, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, that's it, what I thought. It, it come off at, at the bone. It just completely detaches. It, your your lap is what we all call it. It just it comes up from your your kind of side and your back, and it connects right up under your armpit there, towards the outer section of your armpit there. And it's about a, a two and a half, three inch attachment. It's a big big muscle there, and. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a strange injury, and and if I walk you through how it happened, you know, I got traded in the deadline there of 2009 and um, to the White Sox. I'd already thought about this move and knew I was going to have to be moved from San Diego and, um, and got traded. Uh, I, I turned my ankle. Me and Zambrano, Carlos Zambrano, were having a good one at Petco Park uh, that ended one nothing, and, and I was trying to – Dave Roberts – I'd somehow got on first off Carlos Zambrano. I don't know how that happened, but probably a walk. <laughs> Dave Roberts put a ball in the corner, and I was hell-bent. Like, we're not getting hits off this guy. I'm scoring. And I was trying to come around third thinking I was going to score, and, and Glenn Hoffman held me, and I rolled my, my already bad ankle that I'd already got pins and stuff in. And at that point in time, was done with the Padres. They, they just shut me down for the remainder of, of 2009. At the trade deadline, Kenny Williams calls. Um, I'm taking a nap still with the Padres and doing my thing and just going to rehab and get ready, but I've already talked to the Padres. The team sold, and they got to trade me. I'm making too much money, they're, they're saying, and, and they're stripping payroll. And, and uh, But I had a no-trade clause at this point in time because I wanted to stay there in San Diego. And, and so I knew I had to be traded. At the end of the day, Kenny Williams made me feel and, and believed in me in that way we we could keep going back to and made me feel the way that I was wanted and that I was going to be that difference maker. And at the end of the day, I said, you know what, Kenny, I'm coming, man. And uh, he goes, I don't want you for this year. I want you for the next three. Well, of course I get out over to Chicago. I'm excited to get there. A group of new teammates, Jim Tomey, the Hall of Famer, Jermaine Dye, Paul Canerco, Mark Burley, a group of pros um, yeah. that I was excited to play with and, and, and um, had already won before. So I, I was ready to go. And um, I pushed being back off that ankle injury there in 2009. I said, I can help. I don't care. Well, I came back on that two, and I, if you look at my 2009 split stats, you'll see 3-0 and with a one-point-something. Uh, uh, it was end up throwing a shutout about my last start in Detroit. But uh, I was standing up on my backside. I wasn't hitting any push off my back ankle. I was standing up and throwing the ball as over the top as I'd ever, about 88 miles an hour. and and that was it. But I was having success locating the ball season over. Well, the worst thing that ever happened was I got traded from a National League team to where Don Cooper and, and Juan Nieves and his staff never really saw me at my prime and what I looked like. What they did see was me come back and have success as this guy uh, who was 3-0 and but who was on a bad uh, bum ankle. I rehabbed through the winter, come back to spring training in 2010, and this is when – I, I know something's not right. I'm hearing different lingo from my coaches, but that's different. Of course, I've been with San Diego for eight and a half, nine years. You know, that's all I'd heard was a pit, one pitching coach tell me what to do. You know, a, a different crew chief talking to you in your ear. The, the verbiage, the lingo is a little bit different. you got to feel it out. 
I, you know, but I was hearing stuff, stay tall, get on top of the ball, and, I, and I'm halfway through spring training hurting in a way I've never hurt. Um, but I, I start the season, I'm a couple quarter zone shots in, and, and uh, now uh, struggling. Velocity's down, everything's just way off. Still not the same guy. Going into about my second start in May, we now I have some history against Tampa Bay. But these other starts that I had were Cleveland and Toronto, and I never in my Padre years pitched against them. So I was just watching video of other pitchers against them. Well, now we're facing Tampa Bay, and I had pitched the previous year against Tampa Bay, and I had done well. And uh, I want getting ready to watch this video, and I'm watching it with my head pitching coach, and here comes my other guy, and he even asked, who's that up there on the screen? And didn't even recognize me from the, the guy I was. So I was – we were all hugely relieved of, holy crap, we missed the mark, and, and we just – we realized what I, I told you, and I just told you the backstory of how we got there. Now I come back out, I'm throwing 95, I strike out a lot of guys, I walk six, but the pain just keeps getting worse and worse as we go. We're in through June. I'm figuring out my pitching. I, I throw a shutout there in Washington, D.C. Um, and um, on Father's Day, around Father's Day, my son's birthday is around there. But I can just recall at that point in time the pain being enormous. That was the last full start I made. And then uh, there versus Anaheim, pushed through it. And uh, we had had MRIs, and, and we're trying to figure out what was wrong. We just simply missed uh, – Miss what we were looking at and what anybody really thought uh, to be normal. We knew there was severe bleeding and stuff, but we thought everything was intact. And when you think that and you push through, sometimes things, um, you take them to the extreme. And had an injury that uh, now we go through where, where your lat detaches. It was a pretty rough rough go of it. won't walk you through the night, but it was just a, obviously hurt. Um, but, but. You know, not too bad. You got great doctors. You got great people around you. And uh, looked into to getting this thing worked on. Now that nobody, no pitcher had ever had this thing, um, Kerry Wood and Flash Gordon, some of these guys had, had tore their their lats forty percent, both of them around about, and it ended both of them's career. And uh, that's really all we had to go on. None of the doctors who were familiar with baseball, Yoakum and, and uh, Andrews and some of their teams were for, were really comfortable working because of how close they had to work in a different area up under your arm where there were some serious vitals involved. And, and so there was some of that and um, flew all over for a couple of weeks looking for an answer. End up in our backyard in Chicago, Anthony Romeo just looked at me and he's like, I, <laughs> we do this. I, I do this all the time. I, I've gotten – some buddies and they are, are weightlifters and they've done this before and doing some heavy lift and we get that thing back. You know, I'm not sure what you'll ever be able to do, but I'll put it back for you and and we'll draw a rehab uh, program up and, and just kind of go from there. And at the end of the day, that confidence that he had when everybody else was like, I don't know. <laughs> we needed an answer at this point in time. They don't want you to go too far away from the injury because things start to scar up and heal. I had to make a decision, and, and there in Chicago, uh, Anthony Romeo worked on me, and, and at that point in time, it truly saved my career. We, we came out of that, and really there was no, nothing, no baseball player had ever had it or, or we knew how to, how to treat it. We just uh, drew up between me, him, and Herm Snyder, and um, a few others helped, uh, 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 Dr. Bush Joseph, and, and but not really others. We just kind of went on how I felt. 
and it took a true year and a half, two years for me to get back to myself there. I tried to pitch at the end of 2011. Um, and it just, it just didn't, didn't work. And I truly thought 2012 was going to be it come out and really had worked hard that off season and, and was pitcher of the month in 2012, ended up making the all-star team um, for the first time in the American league and, and had my best season there in Chicago and really set up 2013 to be um, on the market and in position to go to Boston. So it was, it was, it was life saving, life saving career saving. I owe so much to, to Anthony Romeo, his courage at the end of the day, his belief in what he, did for a living and uh, at the end of the day it's it's happened a few times since i don't know if it's because of overuse or, or what's caused these other guys injuries i truly know that what caused my injury was doing something differently than i had ever done it before in my life um by the matter of almost foot my, my arm differential of where i was releasing the ball from over the top was almost a foot different so if you do that your lat will come off if you do it enough and intensely enough. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll broach a couple more things here, and then I'll let you go. But we're going to have to do a follow-up podcast because we didn't even get to talk about music. And you and me can talk about music until the – Man, it's my rambling. It's my rambling over here. I love I, it. I'm sorry. Uh, we're, we're, we're definitely going to do another one. Uh, but before I get you out of here, man, in, in today's major leagues, especially right now, you see guys just reaching back and throwing at people. And – I want to get your perspective on what's the code? What's the code of throwing at a guy? Well, you know, look, the code, you know, I guess I can speak pretty freely out of the game now. And, and at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you the truth, Marty. <laughs> I don't care who's listening. <laughs> um, the, um, the code in the way I played was, look, we're playing, and it's a season-long long adventure. And if you hit one of my guys with a fastball, Wherever that guy is in the lineup, I just you just tend to take it and kind of how that unwritten rule. When I, I go back to that those back end days, and when I tell you where I, I learned this from, is just kind of how we played back in the day. But if Ryan Klesko in our three hole and our thirty home run guy got hit with a fastball in Yankee Stadium, you know, by Messina on, on Friday night, at some point in time throughout the weekend, Jorge Posada. Or somebody was probably going to get it, who you know, and, and and it was just kind of an eye for an eye, and you kind of were all right with it. Tempers flared, and it made the game okay. It really, it, you know, just drove a, uh, an even more competitive nature. But I think it kind of policed itself, and sure, it did get out of hand at times. But you know, and, and then at that time, you know, I you 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 knew to do it respectful. You know, there are people who who talk about from the absolute armpit down. And, and, you know, really just pick up that belt, you know, and throw it in there where it makes him uncomfortable, you know, but not at the end of the day trying to injure anybody. But Buster Posey can't get hit twice in an L.A. series with fastballs, you know. Meanwhile, you know, Puig's up there ghetto hacking, and, and, and you know, you're going to lose if that's the case. <laughs> you know, when Buster's missing games and icing, you know, I, I tell people all the time, Hunter Pence in that 2016 season, you know, me and David Ross had this conversation not too long ago. We struggled out of the gates because in spring training, they were pitching in a young kid. I know he didn't mean to do this or think about this, but in a spring training game to my Hunter Pence, my life, my energy, my right fielder who's playing every day and making everybody else better, he hits him in the forearm in a spring training game in the seventh inning. 
pitching in, and he, you know, and it just it it absolutely altered the course of the San Francisco 2016 season because that happened. That's how the game policed itself. Look, this can't happen. Get the ball out of here to our guys. You know, throw the ball away. And um, you know, that's the way I always felt about it, Marty. I don't really know how the game is now, and I, you know, I, I do keep up. I see. I, I wish they'd let them go a little bit, just kind of police themselves and not uh, not assume so much. It's interesting. Who, who? Last thing. Who do you wish you could have pitched against that you didn't get to? Pete Rose. <laughs> Why? I like guys that compete. You know, I, I tell people all the time, and I won't be long-winded, but pitching is a different dynamic, and, and people don't see it like that. They're like, oh, you're a baseball player. And you're like, yeah, I was a baseball player, but I was a pitcher. And when they talk about your knowledge of the league and different stuff, and I go, of course I know the league. I know each one of them personally. You know, I said, the shortstop tonight in Atlanta is going to sit out there and pat his glove and hope the ball gets hit to him. Whoever steps on that mound has a personal interaction with every last person that comes up there to that plate. You know, come on, Marty. Here we go, me and you. All right, you're out. You know what I mean? I'll see you in a couple innings. Who's next? Come on, me and you. All right. And it's this personal interaction that uh, that I, I think that um, I, I that's what I miss. That's what I loved. I think it told it. It told me everything. I knew who the competitors were. I knew who I wanted up and who I didn't want up because of the at bat, because of the competition level and how how much they were dug in. I think Pete Rose would have absolutely been just the epitome of that. And like I look, I, I won some, I lost some, but I reveled in the moment. Who was the hardest out? You, you know, to me, I could say two people. There's nobody. Um, I would be kidding you if I told you Barry Bonds at that point in time when I broke into the league what he was doing in the early 2000s. Nobody had ever changed the game like that. It was just – it was unlike anything I'd ever seen faced. And, I mean, when you look at the number of times he was swinging the bat per walks and, and you just can't even calculate that nobody is close to changing the game. I don't know what his war would be, but go back and calculate war of Barry Bonds back in those days. I can't what, even imagine. What was, what was that like? What was it like standing up there 60 feet, six inches away from that guy holding that bat, hitting it that hard and that far, and in an, in a time where it seemed like for him the baseball looked like a basketball? Well, I owe a lot to Barry um, because of, of – of, I see it in, in a lot of different ways. I, I came up in 2002, three, and we were not doing well or going to clearly not make the playoffs in San Diego. So we would go play the San Francisco Giants or they would come to us because we're in division. We would play them all the time. You know, I faced Barry all the time. It was amazing. At his last at bat, he hugged me on the field. I threw it to him. And matter of fact, he'll tell you, I told him it's coming and he hit it 419 feet, almost had his moment, but um, I had a great moment with Barry, and, and I, I owe him so much because of back then, Bruce Bochy and then we would have to walk him. They would go, don't, this guy's not going to beat us. And it would drive me crazy to go, we're not going to make the playoffs anyway. He's the best. Like, why can't I throw it in there? What if I can get him out, you know? And, um, you know, I didn't win all those battles that, that are with Bochy and get to do it, but I got to compete against him a lot and. You know, I think Barry hit four homers off of me. He got a lot of hits. Um, 
you know, I also at times had success where I, something had happened and, and, and he hadn't done stuff for so long. They asked me to go on a press conference because of how long it, it, it had been since he had struck out and different, you know, just different stuff. Barry was a, a different animal. And by being on the last place team, by sometimes being allowed to compete against the best. And although, yes, I ducked my head a lot. He made me feel like the bum I was. I had a couple times where I had success. If you have success against the best, it gives you a, 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 a sense of confidence. And, and that truly altered my career uh, of, of getting left-handed hitters out because he was the best. I had awful trouble with Louis and John as well, but another day in time. What did you say to Bonds when you went to hug him on the field? Uh, I just appreciate exactly what I told him. I said, man, I appreciate you more than you'll ever know and uh, enjoy your moment. We had, we had had to win this game. I'm sure you can probably YouTube this moment or Google Barry Bonds' last at bat. Uh, you'll see me out there. And we were uh, trying – I don't even remember the year. I just remember this was it. It was his last at bat at, at – uh, there in San Francisco, and, and uh, the team was going on the road. But uh, and, uh, he didn't play any. Uh, but we, we had to win the game. This was deep in the ball game. Uh, you know, seventh, eighth inning, clearly going to be his last at bat. Um, and I – we had a, a general understanding of, of what was happening, and I, I had actually got to walk over there, and I, I was trying to, to ease it in there that I, I, I was quitting on it and, and letting it slip away, and, and the, the crowd was starting to the crowd started to boo, and I'm like, look, I'm trying for you, and then I throw it in there, and he <laughs> hits this moonshot that everybody believes is a homer, and I think Dave Roberts catches it right on the wall out there, and that just the biggest part of the ballpark, but. He still had a great moment, and, and uh, just as he was coming off back towards the dugout, stopped across the field and hugged me and told him that, that, man, you'll never understand what you did to me as a kid. And see you when I see you, and I got to see him again when I, I went back out to San Francisco and, and, and got to pick his brain, and once again, he was great for a reason. Well, have fun out there when you go see them boys again, and I can't thank you enough for all this time. I've kept you way too long, but we're going to have – uh, a volume two of this because we didn't even get to talk about winning the World Series with the Giants. We didn't even get to talk about music and your – I mean, you're like a music mogul these days. And no, your passion for that. very few we people I've ever met Marty in my Smith life. and how awesome you are, man, and what you've done and where you come from. And look, if, if and I know the listeners are listening to me babble on about nonsense. What you said about me in, in the beginning truly uh, means the world. I, I think that uh, – for the people listening, me and Marty um, are introduced through mutual friends, but uh, but truly have this uh, connection that my whole life has now gravitated around this outsider bond of of um, of brotherhood. So, um, man, just just watching what you've done personally, what you've done uh, obviously career wise, I'm a big fan. But uh, like getting to call you a friend, man, is, is where it's at, and I'm privileged to do that. So. Appreciate you, brother. I'll talk to you soon, man. We're gonna do. We're gonna uh, like. I'm not kidding here. We're gonna do a second half of this because there's so much more amazing stuff to chat about. (laughs) Have a good one, brother. Thank you. Appreciate you, Barty. See you, man. I appreciate his words so much, and uh, I've been so blessed and fortunate to spend a lot of time with Jake and. We've had a lot of fun times together. We've uh, helped each other through some really hard times and difficult times, whether that was personal loss, whether that was 
adversity. You know, the adversity that we discussed at the beginning of this podcast, that kind of thing. And I've never met anyone more selfless to his friends than Jake Peavy. If you need it, he will do it. And uh, I just appreciate him so much. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And I'm serious, by the way. There's going to be a second half of that because I have never in my life met anyone that was more passionate about music, about the evolution of music, about writing music, about producing music, and the visceral and internal impact that music can have on shaping your life. I've never met anyone that was more passionate about it than me. If there was someone who was in that sentence, Jake Peavy's in that sentence, and so much so that he now has his own recording studio in Mobile, Alabama, and some of the greatest in the world record there. And he plays music. He puts on a benefit every year where he plays music. I have an amazing story that I will save until part two, where my buddy Justin Moore, who's a country music singer, calls me out of the blue one day and says, hey man, I'm at Fenway Park. I'd love to see the team and i'm like hold on so i text jake right there right before the game and i'm like hey man justin's in town uh he'd love to to see you if he could well justin went to the clubhouse and they played country music and drank beers until two o'clock in the morning and i can't wait to for jake to tell you guys that story it's uh he's just an amazing human being and uh i'm a better man for knowing him so that's that and uh we'll do part two real soon We'll get to the Hillbilly Hotline in just a minute. I know y'all want to hear some more redneck stuff. But before we get to that, let me chat with you guys quickly about Indochino. Indochino is the world's most exciting made-to-measure menswear company, and it's so easy. Here's how it works. Visit a stylist at the showroom and have them take your measurements personally or measure at home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. That's the easiest way. You go on Indochino.com, choose your fabric inside and out, choose your design customizations, submit your measurements with your choices, and relax while your suit gets professionally tailored and mailed to you in just a couple weeks. Their history is interesting, too. Chinos originated 120 years ago as part of a British-French military uniform, designed to be simple, durable, comfortable, and camouflaged in earthy tones. Fast forward to recent times, and this fashion classic has changed very little. Until now. Indochinos are tailored for the perfect fit and customizable to suit any personal taste and style. This week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com when entering promo code MARTY at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code MARTY for any premium suit, just $359 and free shipping. It's a great deal. Do it right now, guys. Indochino.com, promo code MARTY. Now it's time for the Hillbilly Hotline. Words, sayings, or just a way of life? Roman candles? That's a redneck mortar launcher. That's what that is. (laughs) This is Hillbillyisms. Hello? Justin? Yes. This is Marty Smith from ESPN. How you doing, buddy? Brother, if I was any better, I'd be you, son. So, uh, <laughs> I, don't know about that. I hope I'm not interrupting you at work today, uh, but oh, right. if I am, they'll get over it, right? Oh, yeah. We all listen to you. 
All right. Well, I appreciate that so much, brother. Uh, so I got your I got your call, and we used it uh, on last week's Marty Smith's America podcast because it was so fascinating and so wonderful. But well, I appreciate that. I have at least four or five questions that I feel like I need to follow up on that phone call that you just left hanging. All right. Okay. So the first one uh, that really stands out to me is so you've gone into the bar, you're 17 years old, and you're just tossing back shots. Right? Yes, sir. Yeah. How did yeah, um, no one ever notice that you were 17? Because when you're 17, you're in that moment where you think you look 28, but you don't look 28. Were you ever uh, even the, questioned? Uh, no, because uh, one of the guys I was with um, was actually part of the bouncing crew, and he was just off that night. And uh, <laughs> at 17. So you had inside job going, brother. Oh yeah, at seventeen I was six one two forty. So uh Okay. I understand. I, I was, I've I've I never been I've never been that. <laughs> All right, so, so you need to you need to take me through the evolution of this night. All right. So the, the, the bouncer boys are filling y'all full of Jack Daniels. What were y'all what were oh, y'all shooting, by the way? Oh man, girly shots, Jack Daniels, wild turkey, beans. Oh Lord son. I mean you name it. Um Jackhammers, which I think were like wild turkey and Jaeger or something. Hold on just a minute now. Wait a minute. So you're 17. You've never drank before, correct? No. No, sir. And these guys fill you full of wild turkey, Jack Daniels. So much Jack Daniels, you started calling him John. John Daniels. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how Um, did you even – how did you live through this? I don't understand. I don't either. Uh, It felt like it was – six hours but it could have been an hour and a half um <laughs> i remember walking around uh telling myself as i'm walking by the pool tables don't touch anything don't touch anything and i'd grab the eight ball and take off running and i'd have 10 guys chasing me through this place because whiskey river's huge you can disappear and it was a uh, good thing that your buddy was the bouncer so you steal yeah. the eight ball and you just haul ass out of there Yes, sir. Yeah, I just take off, and they're chasing me, and I go hide in a stall like I'm five years old playing hide-and-go-seek. And uh, I have no idea what happened to the eight ball. And the, and the old man selling cigars and stuff in the bathroom was like, hey, you want to buy something? And I was like, well, I ain't never had a cigar, so I got like a Swisher Sweet or something like that. And next thing I know, the whole place is spinning, and I sit down, and the old cowboy next to me is like, hey, do you want some dang worm dirt? You know, probably the worst dip you could possibly try for the first time. And I right, got a worm Copenhagen, dirt. and that was it. That leads me right into my next question. All right, worm All dirt. Right. Was that what was that what you recall the guy offering you, or is that what you and the boys call cope? That's what we call cope, worm dirt. I see. Okay, very good. Now, moving along, I have no idea how you got where you wound up. And what did your either. boys tell you about the aftermath of all of the John Daniel shots, the terrible Swisher Sweet, the worm dirt cope? So then the next thing you know, you wake up in the rain in a car. How did this transpire? I have some vague memories of being pulled out the back um, behind the stage, and it was raining back behind the bar. Um, and then next thing I know, I wake up in the car and I ask my buddies, you know, what happened? And they were like, we think you left with some girl, you know, and that's oh, really that a boy? the only answer I've had. 
Okay, you left with some girl, but you have on a you have on new clothes, correct? Yes, yes. And you wake up in a car that is your uh, of which you're unfamiliar, correct? No, it was my car, but I didn't go to. Oh, the it was bar your car. Okay. Car. Yeah. So you have on new clothes in your car mm-hmm. all by yourself? Yes, I was by myself. I went to the bar with some Wranglers and like a. This was back when Nautica was big, so I had like a Nautica polo, and I woke up in overalls and flip flops. Um, and no, were not yours. No underwear. (laughs) It was rough. So these overalls were not your overalls. Uh, these weren't my overalls. No, I mean I kept them, um, but they weren't my overalls. They were. Justin, have you ever seen? So okay, okay. So th- this is taking quite a turn here. So you've gone from Wranglers and boots and Nautica to Fubu mm-hmm. overalls with no undershirt and no drawers on. No, sir. No. Yeah, I have no idea what. That's. Happened. It's like a Bradley Cooper movie. Bradley Cooper should play <laughs> you in a film just caught, just entitled Jason Aldean Country. Yes. Yes, and this is the bar where Jason got his start at. So. Well, but it sounds a like a hell of a place. Jason. It sounds like a hell of a place. Did you ever see Jason Aldean play there before he made it? Yes, I think he was Jason Williams. He I was believe. Jason Williams. He was yeah. a, a, Jason Aldean is his middle Aldean is actually his middle name and not spelled in fact the way that yeah, he currently it. spells his last stage name now. Yes, yeah, a uh, A-L-D-I-N-E, I think, or something like that. Yes, sir. Justin, you're ready to go to the Scripps National Spelling Bee, brother. Well done. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I love watching y'all do that, though. Well, uh, yeah, we're not really that great at it. We got them all fooled. Uh, brother, I can't I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this story. Uh, I'm still a little perplexed on, on how it all unfolded. Uh, obviously you are too. So what happened? So you wake up in the FUBU and you just crank the motor and head on home? Yeah, I crank the motor and head home and I, and I go to my dad's house and, uh, I think he's out hunting and, uh, I pass out and, uh, he gets back from hunting around lunchtime and wakes me up, tells me to go mow the grass. And I was, that's the last thing I could have done was crank a mower. <laughs> And uh, this was back before, you know, we could have a riding lawnmower. This was, you know, push mowing five acres. And uh, that wasn't going to happen. So I was like, well, I'm going to go over to Mom's and see if she's got some food. And so I went over there and I passed out. And he called her about 8 o'clock at night. Hey, have you seen Justin? She's like, oh, he's been here asleep. So I got my butt chewed out. And yeah. How would you describe your headache on that drive between Dad's house and Mom's house? Oh, man, uh, I wanted to just cut it out, you know, I mean, it was just, there. it was just awful. I swore off Jack Daniels, and then when I moved to Nashville, that's about all you can, that's about all you can drink when you live in Nashville, and, and that's like water there, so. That's because it's the good Lord's elixir, son. Uh, oh, yeah. We appreciate your time, we appreciate your amazing storytelling ability, if at some point, all of a sudden, the details just show up in your mind, like these all crazy right. movies that people, you know, they, they get amnesia, and then they all of a sudden, the, the terrible occurrence that has scarred them mentally forever just shows up. You need to call us back. 
Oh, I will. I'm, I might take a trip down Jack Daniels' memory lane and see if something gets jarred. Uh, but <laughs> appreciate it's been you, brother. Be years. good. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the call, man. Take it easy. Well, Travis, I'm not too sure what to make of this. Um, Justin has been mentally scarred forever by Jack Daniels. I don't care if he remembers what happened in the past when he gets drunk again. I want him to call in again when he gets drunk the next time. Like, I think we just like need to tell, I need to text him and just be like, listen, when you're drunk, call the number and leave a message. I mean, I'm telling you that he, Bradley Cooper is going to play Justin in a movie called Jason Aldean Country, The Return of Fubu. That's a great that's name gonna, of a movie though. Just Jason Aldean Country. Boom. It totally is. Uh, I would watch it, especially, uh, when it deals with worm dirt, Swisher Sweets, John Daniels, Fubu, Wrangler. And eight balls. The one question we forgot to ask him is, how old is he now? We need to, how long ago did this happen? Because I have a feeling that he's now. I feel. Was. I feel like he's like in his late thirties. I bet he's probably about our age. I mean, look, if it was before Jason Aldean made it, I mean, Aldean's been in Nashville since like two thousand or something, two thousand one, right? Yeah. So you're talking late nineties. He's probably about my age. And you're still a child, so he's not your age, but he's probably. I bet he's 38 to 42, somewhere in that 40-year yeah. range. Another moral of story, also always be friends with the bouncers. How about that, man? 17 years old. It's You're in that moment, like I said to Justin, where you feel, when you look in the mirror, you're like, hell yeah, I look 25. I also bet but you. But somebody who's 35 looks at you and goes, go put your diaper on, man. I bet she has like an older brother that his, that's how he knew the bouncers or it's a family friend. And those are the perfect because me, I barely pass for 21 as it is now and I'm 30. So yeah, you look 12. Yeah. You definitely still look 12. Did you get carded in Atlanta? I think you got carded in Atlanta. I don't know if I did actually. Meanwhile, I'm like, could I get a beer? And they're like, sure, old man with gray beard. No problem. And then yeah, sit next to you and then McGee with his beard. I was, and I'm just like baby face over here. I'm surprised they didn't just give me a water cup and tell me to go sit I'm down. I'll shave because when I shave, I lose at least 15 years. No, you can't shave the beard. I know. It's like, it's a national trade. Well, this is, it's, it's, I had to get the faux hawk fixed, man. Football's here, so you can't shave the beard. Like this is your, this is your season. This is my, yeah, that's right, son. It's Marty party season. We got to make sure we're faux hawk beard, cold beer. Saturday afternoons, I can't wait. I'm going to have to make sure I keep tabs on Justin. Travis and I might just have to randomly check in with him every now and then, make sure he's not having flashbacks from Whiskey River. He said he's in Nashville. We've had a few Nashville guests on. I think this is just a sign that we need to go to Nashville. Did you notice that he also said that Jack Daniels is water here? Uh, you know that you have an iron liver. When Jack Daniels is water, but he's right. I don't know if you've ever been to Nashville, Travis, but however he is correct, that is an accurate depiction of liquid consumption in Music City. Uh, trust me, I have lived it. I have friends there who have nearly sent me off to meet my maker by way of a Jack Daniels river. Travis, thank you so much, brother, for getting us these awesome guests. I appreciate your conviction and passion for this project thank you to louise for being crazy enough to give it to us thanks so much to jake peavy for spending so much time with me uh again he's a brother of mine i love him and he's a great friend and i i appreciate him being that vulnerable and telling us about his life and his experiences it's a hell of a story someday he should write a movie y'all make sure you call the hillbilly hotline it's 860 
Travis. 516 Tell us your crazy tailgate stories. It's college football season, y'all. Tell us about your tailgate last weekend. I'm sure you guys saw some details that we need to hear about. Above all, I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time each week to spend this hour with us on the Marty Smith's America podcast. We love doing it. I appreciate your feedback so much. I love to read the tweets. Please tweet me, at Marty Smith ESPN. Let me know what you think, how, what you liked, what you think we can do better. All of those things, it helps us. Please subscribe, rate, and review. I know, as I say every week, it seems trivial, man, but it matters to us to subscribe, rate, and review the Marty Smith's America podcast. And like every week, I want to take a moment to thank our men and women in uniform, both domestically and all around the world, keeping us free every single day. We live in the best country in the world for a reason. Thank you all for hanging out. We'll see you next week.